This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we'll react to UFC heavyweight Curtis Blades attacking female fighters for posting thirst trap photos. We'll also talk to top-ranked UFC strawweight Carlos Sparza, who competes at UFC 249. And we'll check in with top-ranked powerlifter and kabuki strength proprietor Chris Duffin about Thor Bjornsson's attempted ESPN 501-kilogram deadlift. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. right here, East Coast time, on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. And don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. It is Friday, May 1st, 2020. And Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Luke Thomas Show right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. What a show we have planned for you today. A couple of guests are going to stop by. First of all, she faces Michelle Waterson May 9th at UFC 249. The Cookie Monster will be here. Carla Esparza. Looking forward to that conversation. Plus, Chris Duffin is going to be here. You guys may or may not know who that is. He is a legend in the strength, strength sports world. He's trained many UFC fighters, by the way. We'll talk to him about MMA training, strength training, but also he's going to preview Thor Bjornsson's deadlift that's going to be attempted tomorrow on ESPN, a 501-kilogram deadlift. So we'll talk to Chris Duffin a little bit later about that. Plus, we've got some UFC 249 news to get to, safety news, I should, I should, uh, I should say and clarify. Um, we've got Curtis Blades going hard in the paint against some uh, female fighters. We've got a lot of news to get to. As always, the best place to reach us, Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. And uh, let's see. Oh, we're on Twitter as well, at MMA on SiriusXM. And we're on Instagram. Instagram straight flexing, as Trinidad James always says. SiriusXM Foundation is the name right there. All right. Very good. Um, so let's, I want to start here. We got a bunch of 249 news to get to. And I said as far as and Duffin and all that kind of stuff. I want to start the show here if I can. Um, okay, I mentioned Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades is a UFC heavyweight. I don't know what got into him, but suffice to say, he had it out with some female fighters on social media. So the way it works is that he was battling Pearl Gonzalez, who former UFC fighter, but now Invicta FC flyweight. They're both from Chicago, but they ended up in this sort of weird space. Uh, and it goes something like this. I'm not going to get to everything that was said. But the general gist is that Blades has an issue, I guess, with female fighters who post provocative or otherwise racy photos of themselves as a way to make various forms of career advancement and then complain about being overly sexualized. Let me read some of his comments and then we'll hear what they have to say. So here is one thing that Blades had said in naming Paige Van Zant and Rachel Ostovich. He goes, so you tell me Paige Van Zant and Rachel Osta, whatever, actually deserve time to remain on the UFC's roster for their athletic achievements, and they're not just on cards for their sex appeal? Because if I'm wrong about that, then I guess the whole premise of my original statement is wrong, and I apologize. But if you're a legit fan of MMA, you couldn't possibly believe the two females I mentioned are on the roster for anything other than the fact that they look good in bikinis. Pearl Gonzalez, uh, was he was asked about that. He goes, yeah, I know of Pearl. She's another one who's not a very good fighter, but stays relevant because she's constantly posting bikini training pics. Her skills are exactly what they were five years ago, a brawler with terrible footwork and decent grappling. Too many females in athletic industry are getting by on being sexy, not actually being good at their craft. Um, so she fired back goes, a fighter complaining how my looks keep me relevant and that my skills haven't improved. The fact you are today's, the fact you are today years old and still can't speak a full sentence blows my mind. Now, he actually has a speech impediment. So she responds, uh, by the way, that's an excuse. I'm a convicted felon and have read more books than you have with your degree. I put in work every single day in every area of my life, including my sport. I'm 100% persistent and consistent in my growth. Your opinion, spelled Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, is irrelevant. Stop hating bra. He conti or she continues to be 100% honest. I wasn't talking about a speech impediment. I was talking about the stupid topics he chooses to speak on. We have such a huge platform and to choose 
this uh, to tear women down is so sad. We're both from Chicago, a city of violence. Somewhere we need to uplift. I used to shout this man out for being from the same city as me. I used to be a fan. Why not reaching out and try to help women instead of criticizing? Um, anyway, so that's the gist of their back and forth. The initial statement, by the way, from Curtis Blades that got everything going was, um, I'm a girl dad, so let me make this clear. I'm not against female fighters, female athletes, by the way, getting publicity and media push and love from fans when it's deserved and earned through legitimate hard work and grinding. My issue is why do so many female athletes complain and gripe about being overly sexualized by fans and media, but then at the same time, many of them are profiting off said sexualization through media endorsements, high-profile placement on fight cards, and overall popularity, which leads to many other financial opportunities. I don't hate hustling either. Like, if that's how a female wants to pay her bills through her body, which is what many strippers do, Jesus, I don't have any problem with the hustle, but you can't live life that way and expect to garner the same kind of respect and love that the real grinders get. You can't have your cake and your ice cream pick one. Either you're going to hustle and make money off your athletic achievements and skill set, or you're going to hustle and sell bikini picks and forfeit that respect and hard work and sweat brings. This is an open table discussion. I just want to hear y'all's honest opinions. All right, so we're definitely going to ask Carla Esparza about this. You know, and certainly, uh, you know, uh, 40-year-old white dude weighs in on this is, you know, I'm not exactly the core demo for being clued in on what exactly is the right response here. Part of the problem here is, um, well, there's a few problems here that I can, that I, at least that I can detect. And all I can do is talk about the ones that I've detected. The first problem I've detected here is that, like, we, we this is a very much an entertainment business. It is a sport, or at least, you know, yeah, yes, it's a sport, but uh, it's very much driven by entertainment considerations. So, any number of different things a person can do, male or female, to get people to either want to pay to see them or want to pay attention to them, they're going to do, and they're going to keep doing it if it works. Namely, Conor McGregor has done any number of verbal taunts and acts and whatever to garner attention. It has worked, and he's going to keep doing it. Chael Sonnen would be another example. Um, so, it, it, to be clear, um, and I don't think Curtis disagrees with this per se, but a woman who is attractive, who is leveraging that for popularity's sake, I mean, this is just part of the, how the game works. The Sport is overwhelmingly comprised in terms of the fan base, media too, I suppose, of men. And, you know, men usually less than 50, let's say, even less than 40 perhaps. Um, that kind of content, that racy kind of content is just going to be valuable. It's going to be a really valuable way to get ahead. Um, about that, there can be no denying it. Moreover, if we're talking about a professional endeavor where how much opportunity is there to advance, you can make the case that the UFC does a better job of virtually any other sports league of making it equitable across gender. Maybe not as much as golf or tennis. You know, Certainly not tennis, I don't think. But if you're a woman and you want to fight, you have some opportunity to do it at the highest level and make some decent money in a way you couldn't if you wanted to, say, play soccer. Like It's going to be hard to make money playing soccer as a woman professionally, um, you can do it. It's not impossible, but it's just not nearly as lucrative as it is in the Ultimate Fighting Championship if, if you're one of the very, very top fighters. So um, using, it's not merely that, yes, men can do certain things that women can. And by the way, women could do the stuff that Conor McGregor does too if they were good at it. Um, you don't see as much of that, but they could. That was a bit, that, That's more a bit a gender neutral thing. I, I, I don't mean to say women can show skin, men can be loud, and that's the best way to do it. It could go both ways, actually. Um, but there's just not as much of a market inside of the MMA fan base for dudes showing skin. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same resonance as a woman doing it. So uh, we should be clear about that. Just from a, you know, what would the market bear? But to be clear, part of the reason why you might see it from women is not merely that it works in certain cases, but they don't have nearly the same level of opportunity for advancement. There's only three weight classes, um, and you know, one of them is incredibly stacked. It's going to be very hard to get through. Finding a way to stand out when that kind of act, if you wanted to lean into it, will help you do it, is very successful. Um, so I can understand that as well. Here's what I consider to be the basic problem with all of this is in general, and this is overstating it a little bit, 
But in general, you've got really successful male fighters who have used, let's just say, a gimmick to help them get ahead, right? Title contenders, title winners. You've had really good fighters, really good fighters, put on in the male side acts or say things they don't believe or do some kind of bit to help aid their cause. I'm not here to equivocate putting on an act, as, same as showing skin, they have their own different significances but what the problem is on the women's side is that a lot of the ones who have leaned into their looks as a way to get ahead which I take no issue with what Curtis has sort of picked up on is it's not typically the better ones the better ones like we've not really encountered a situation where we've had a really good fighter who also leaned into their looks except maybe Ronda Rousey um and, of course, here's the whole contradiction to it. Even if you did that, where you are a title holder and you leaned into your looks for some kind of benefit, people would try to undermine you there at the same time. Even there, they would say things like, oh, well, you know, what are you really in this for? And, um, you know, what, do you, what are your actual priorities? You're just trying to, you know, undermine any, any kind of athletic seriousness you confer upon the situation. And that's where the situation gets unfair. So what Curtis has picked up on is you've not, we don't really have any high level championship fighters who, you know, or have only fans accounts. Obviously we know the famous case of Yoani and Jacek openly admitting she had some plastic surgery, and I think some breast augmentation to help her, you know, not advance her career per se, but I think she realized it certainly wouldn't hurt. But she can usually get by on her own merits as well. Um, she was a former title holder. She just was in maybe the greatest women's fight of all time. But th there's just no way to deny you have high-level men using gimmicks to get ahead. And the same, not the same kind, but um, the skin gimmick, if you want to call it that on the women's side, it's not nearly as prevalent among the high-level ones. And why that is, I don't really have a working theory. You could say maybe they don't feel like they need to. You could say maybe it's something they don't believe in. You what, what I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And even then they lean into a little bit like Shevchenko leans into it a little bit. But on the heavier side of things, actually, you know what? Maybe that even undercuts his position a little bit. Shevchenko leans into it on occasion with glamour shots, bikini shots. Nothing, nothing you know, particularly racy. But it's not like she's taking an ultra-conservative approach either. She's not, you know, it's, not, it's not merely training picks, you know, looking all disheveled. And she's a high-level fighter. So it actually kind of undermines Curtis's point. So there you have another case where you have it a little bit. At the level at which he's talking about, which is like really leaning into it, no, I don't think you have that exactly from, from the fighters. Uh, and that dichotomy is getting people to realize, oh, well, there's a certain kind of female fighters who win on their own merit and a certain kind who post, you know, ultra-racy bikini shots. But one, that distinction isn't exactly fair. Two, they don't have nearly as many opportunities for advancement. Um, and And... Three, you know, while that's sort of true that there is a little bit of a, of a difference, um, you know, my basic point is who cares? Like, does anyone, I mean, yes, they get ahead in, in an entertainment industry, but that's because the market rewards them for it. Um, it your issue is really with the fans and, and what the organization wants. And I'm not saying that's necessarily unfair, but that's not a problem that uh, you can solve by... I think lashing out on social media. Just something to keep in mind. This week on World of Basketball, European coaching legend and former San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Ettore Messina dropped by to talk about whether or not he's surprised by the immediate impact that Luka Doncic has had on the NBA. I thought he was going to be a good player in the NBA. Honestly, I could not ever imagine that he could have had such an impact right off the bat right? in terms of producing triple doubles like in our minutes. I think that the, the key thing in his career has been that Coach Carlisle gave him the ball and put him at the point guard. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora. All right, joining us now on the hotline is a former champ and top-ranked UFC strawweight. She takes on Michelle Waterson on May 9th at UFC 249. It is the cookie monster herself. It is Carla Esparza. Hi, Carla. How are you? 
Hey, what's up? I'm doing great. You know, Carla, I checked out your Instagram ahead of time. Man, you would never know that you're, except for that one picture with you with the mask on, you would never know you were in the middle of a pandemic. It seems like it hasn't really changed a whole lot for you. Is that a, a, am I reaching too far? Is that a fair assumption? I would say, I would say that's pretty spot on. I mean, normally I, in camp, you know, I'm not really too social. I train, go home, train, go home, train, go home. So it's pretty much business as usual for me. All right, let's talk about the training. Everyone I talk to has a different answer. So as you can imagine, by the way, folks who may not know, you're with Team Oyama. Where in California are you? We're in Orange County, California in Irvine. All right, so Irvine. So, you know, we'll talk to fighters from New York. They have a very different response than ones who might be in Georgia, who might be in California. Obviously, California's got its own rules. In fairness, a lot of fighters are breaking them to be able to get ready for UFC 249. So to what extent are you trying to manage social distancing with job obligations? Um, I mean, I have a, a few select training partners that I work with, and uh, we just kind of do like, we have like a private sessions and stuff, and I've been kind of just getting my same training as usual. I'm not able to work with all my coaches like normal, like a lot of them, you know, they all have different situations. One, my, my uh, strength and conditioning coach, Mike Spy, he just had a newborn, so he's being extra careful, and uh, another one of my coaches, Kenny Johnson, he... Um, he like his daughter lives with some older people. So, you know, it's a question of some people just being, you know, protecting their family and stuff. So I, I totally get that. But um, for the most part, I've, I've been training like every day, like normal, almost overtraining. Sometimes I actually have to kick it, kick it back a little bit this week. You know, I was thinking about this. I think a more senior fighter, which I would consider you at this point, I've been around the game a little bit, they sort of understand how to train a little bit better. So they might be able to cope with some of the challenges that go into tailoring a training situation like this versus maybe some newer fighters who probably don't have as much establishment don't have as much training partners to look for you know people who they can rely on would you think that's a fair assessment like maybe the more veteran fighters are going to be able to manage this a little bit better yeah i definitely think um you know when you've been around a lot longer you you know more people you have you know more ability to kind of like ask ask things of people because you've been you know just in the game a lot longer and you know, a lot of people are just financially set a little bit more. A lot of people are even, you know, can make, can have their own little setups and stuff. So I definitely think it's a lot easier for people who've been around a lot longer. And I also think just even mentally, like when you do this sport, there's so many ups and downs and, and, you know, like wrenches thrown in your camps over the years. It's just kind of like you get used to so many different things happening. Mm, that's a good point. Um, do you know anyone who's gotten sick from this pandemic? I personally don't. Um, I don't really think I know. I may know like one or two people who know someone, but you know that's not too bad. I, 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 you know, it's not as crazy as it seems. At least over here on my end, from you know people that I know. But I'm sure, like you said, on the East Coast, New York, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I got. I mean, I have coworkers from New York, and all of them got it. It It's wild. So, um, but you know, different different symptoms too. Some got hospitalized, some didn't. It's all kind of all over the place. Um, last thing about this, I promise we're going to talk about the, the fight and everything else in the division. Cause it's actually a really interesting time for it. Uh, but you are having to travel to Florida. Have you gotten a lot of information from UFC? Do you have any nerves about that? No, not really. Um, I think I just have confidence in the organization that they're going to do whatever they need to do to take care of us. Like they always have, but not only that, it's, you know, they've always taken care of us, but also, I mean, I'm sure even just for themselves, you know, they're taking this big risk, this big step here. So I'm sure they want to do go above and beyond to make sure that this doesn't blow up in their face. So I feel super confident that we're all going to be like safe and taken care of. Uh, you normally take how many cornermen and people with you versus how many you're allowed to take this time? What's the difference? This um, actually normally um, I, I usually take about three people. Maybe I'll have an extra training partner or two here and there. It just depends on the situation. But this time, I think we're only allowed to take three people with us. So for everyone's corner, that's just, you know, that's perfect. Um, but this time, instead of taking like one of my coaches who couldn't come anyway, I'm taking a training partner because I do need that body like during the week to, to train with and stuff. Right. And have you gotten a lot of like idea about the, we know where the fight's going to be, but like dorming, like where you like where you're staying? Do you know any like the, the on the ground details? I honestly don't know the hotel we're staying at. Um, I don't really know the situation about that at all. Um, but I'm a, 
I'm kind of guessing that there's not really going to be anybody else at our hotel or on the on our floor at least. I I but, feel like they're going to really like I, I don't know. I can only kind of wonder, but I, I heard like at Tachi Palace, like they were going to have the whole hotel just for us, and yeah. you know everyone was going to have their own room, and uh, we weren't going to be allowed to leave for anything. So it was just going to be like. Ultimate fighter. <laughs> you know what? Uh, my wife does corporate event planning, which goes into booking hotels. And she tells me, especially in Florida right now, the hotels are closed, but they're actually looking for a chance to reopen for anybody who wants to like rent it or you know occupy it for any kind of reason. So my hunch is that's exactly correct. You're going to get your own hotel probably all to yourselves. Yeah, that'll be nice. I mean, I usually have my own room anyway because as a woman, as a woman, I always get uh, two rooms. You know, uh, so it's always like I get my room and then the guys are in another room. So it's going to be pretty normal for me. But uh, it'll be nice to be like, all right, I'm going to spoil you guys. You guys all get your own room this time. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get into this fight a little bit here. Michelle Waterson. You know, it's, it's funny. I was looking at your record as well. Uh, 2017 was a good year for you. A little bit up, a couple of down, well, one down, I think. 2018 was not the best year for you, but 2019 was a really good one. What, what would you attribute to, I mean, yes, some of the fights are harder than other ones, but do you attribute anything to 17 being basically great, 18 being a bit of a, a, a step back, and then 19 a big step forward? Well, um, I, I honestly do think that's just kind of like a maybe a step up in competition. Um, when I fought, uh, you know, the, when I, the fight with Claudia was like super controversial, so that one I kind of I kind of just attributed to a coin toss, and um you know, I just in my next fight, I just stylistically it was a bad fight for me. So I think it's just the the draw sometimes, you know, just matchups and this and that. But uh, that did really force me to go back to the table and make a lot of adjustments in my camp and the way I look things, look at things, the way I approach things. Um, I think you kind of have to evolve as a fighter each camp um, and just over the years, you know, like uh, you have a certain style. Like let's say someone's, you know, I'm always taking everyone down, and then it's like okay. Now they're just stopping my takedowns. It's like, okay, now I need to get a striking game. Boom, now I have a striking game. Now people are trying to put me on my back. So it's like I had to switch things up, work on my back, work escapes more, work strength and conditioning to put some size on and start taking supplements. And, hmm. you know, I just made a lot of adjustments. Um, so that's why I think I had a really good year last year. And this game is just constantly changing. There's always new young up-and-comers, you know, looking to take our spot. So I think if you're not changing, you're going to get left behind. The, the weight room, did it make the cut harder? Oh, my gosh. Well, not last camp because I totally got sick in Mexico, and I was like three pounds over for like a week before my fight. Hmm. So um, that that one didn't count. And then the one before, I was actually just talking to my trainer about this. I, I sprained my ankle, so I couldn't train for like 10 days. So it was just – all these situations have been a little bit weird, so I'm not really sure, you know, like this whole pandemic thing, even itself, it's like I can't get the same training in. So I'm like, you know, it's it's also just another weird situation. So right now I'm about uh, 10 pounds over. So I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Yeah, and, um, you know, we'll see what the situation with saunas and, you know, and stuff is like, I don't know if they're going to let us all do that, and you know, over there, or if we're going to have to think of different things or yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all goes. So let's talk about Michelle Waterson for a second now. 2019, from my perspective, was when I watched you compete. There was a lot more of the natural mixing of the different parts of your game relative to previous eras of it, where you would striking here, wrestling there. It was a lot more integrated from my standpoint. Even even with that, though, Michelle Waterson, not the biggest fighter in this weight class, and you would have to imagine you like your chances even if it is just pure wrestling, size her up as a challenge for me relative to your skills. Um, it, <laughs> I won't say what my coach said, um, but just from my studying and everything, um, I think she's just really fast on the feet. She moves a lot, really has really flexible kicking game and is just really fast at bringing things back. So I think she's someone just kind of hard to get a hold of. Um, you know, whereas most people are like on the feet and might mix in a couple kicks, she's uh, one of the unique people in the division that I think throws, you know, a lot of kicks. Um, wrestling wise, I definitely think I have the advantage with her, but I think um, people that kind of take her lightly, she's good at using other people's weight against them and like tossing people like in the mix. 
So I think, you know, if we were to have a wrestling match, like I think I, I'm pretty confident that I'd, I'd win like nine out, of, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10, but you never know. But that's just my take. And uh, on the ground, um, you know, I think uh, I actually saw her, they just showed Invicta FC1, or no, no, not that one. Um, they just showed the, the Jessica Penne fight. Back. Huh? The Jessica Penne fight. Yeah, I saw that that fight. That fight was one of my favorites of all time. It was so good grappling back and forth. I think Jessica Penne is such a such an elite like grappler. And then when I when I went and I saw um, Michelle Watterson go and take her belt from her, she uh, they got into a lot of weird transitions. Michelle definitely goes for the kill a lot with her arm bars and. You know, it was very flexible and athletic on her back. So, you know, um, have I fought better, technically better, like, grapplers? Yeah, I fought, you know, black belts over the years. Verna Janaroba has been, like, a a black belt for, like, 10 years or something, you know. But I think someone like her is definitely capable of catching, catching you because, you know, you go to the ground and she's already, like, looking for the subs, like, off the bat. She does, she's not afraid to go for it. So, like, I think if we it was a pure jiu-jitsu match, I think I would win. But, you know, with all the the mix of everything, like, I, I, I know she's definitely going for the kill. Yeah, she's opportunistic, right, with her subs. She she isn't, uh, as you indicated, she's not she hasn't won uh, the Mundials or anything in the Gi. But um, for people who get caught slipping a little bit, she's on it like white on rice. Still, though... Um, I indicated before that you had sort of I thought from a, from watching the game had been integrated more. You must feel that way, right? You must feel like there's less siloed off portions of your game and it's all kind of fluid at this point. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the longer you stay away from kind of your background, like where you come from, you know, it's just like you're naturally it's all going to kind of come together. Like I started with wrestling and, you know, so obviously I was just so this much wrestling this much everything else but i think over the years you're kind of like you're wrestling or your background fades a little bit and other things pick up and it's kind of hard to be like up here with everything because there's just so many moving parts you know to mma and so many different things to like learn and you know even when you're staying really you know focusing a lot on one thing like something has to give you know hmm. fair enough uh what, let's talk about the state of the division here for just a second uh, we have uh, Zhang Wiley at the top, who appears to be uh, really in tremendous form, although that was a really brutally, a brutal um, uh, fight she was in. But the rest of the division is kind of an interesting moment, too. You've got Nina Ansaroff, who's off, going to give birth to a kid. Tatiana Suarez, who the hell knows. Yuani and Jacek, I'm assuming if this goes well for you, that's one you're going to want back. Talk to me about that top five. How do you see the state of this division? Because it's always been tough, but now it looks like it might be ready for some turnover again. Yeah, no, that's a tough one. Um, I think all I think all the top five girls. Let me see who's in the top five right now. Andrade, Nama Yunus, Suarez, Jacek, and Ansaroff. and then you're sitting at seven. Got Gadelia at six. Yeah, I mean, I think just all those are are killers. Of you know, they're they're all like super strong, just super technical. Like I don't think any of those are an easy fight. I think. You know, if you went pound for pound with the other divisions, like, they're just all tough. Um, Ansaroff is off for a while. Tatiana, I don't know, maybe she's been injured or something. Like, so is, you know, but I think on any day of the week, like, Andrade, like, no one wants, no one just wants to jump into that fight. No one wants to jump in, into a fight with Joanna. Like, those are all such strong, like, powerful chicks, you know. It's just, those are tough fights. Do you, I know with the pandemic, it's like so hard to plan, but have you thought about the rest of the year and maybe 2021 and and what your realistic path is for what, what, what your goal might be? And I'm assuming it's find a way back to the title, but beyond that, like how many fights and which ones, have you given any consideration to that? Um, you know, I, I think a lot for me personally just depends on how I, how I come out of this fight. Like, you know, let's say I win and, you know, I have a great win. I win in the first round, take no damage or whatever. Then it's like, okay, you know, like let's get a, another fight in pretty soon here. But, you know, I think it just kind of depends on what happens. And um, I would definitely want time to put size back on and stuff. So I, I definitely wouldn't jump in anything too soon unless it was just 
a great opportunity. And I think, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Fight Island or if the fights are going to be limited to um, to U.S. fighters for the next couple months or, like, what the situation is. So that might leave, like, hey, you know, like, who who's of those top five? Like, Andraj is in Brazil. Zhang, uh, she's in China. So it's like, you know, like, Tatiana and Nina are kind of out right now. So it's like, who's really left? Like Joanna, you know, there's not a lot like left in the top of the division to just kind of jump into fights, Hmm. you know? Yeah, no, it's certainly true. Uh, Let's end on this if we can. There was this, uh, I don't know, whatever call it, uproar, I don't know, a debate online. A UFC heavyweight, Curtis Blades, had weighed in with this idea about um, he sort of he sort of he sort of put it to the women of the uh, of MMA. He's like, look, if you want to win fights on your sheer merit, great. Uh, but for those of you who sort of use, let's say, thirst traps, right, on social media to get attention, um, you shouldn't. The same amount of respect should not be conferred upon you, even if that's what you really want to do. And there should be a distinction made between the two. I wonder what you make of this this argument he has. Um, you know, that's a tough one because I've been in the sport for a long time and I went from wrestling where you just tie your hair up, you're, you show up in sweats, you get off, you step on the scale, next person. Like, so that's kind of how I started going to the weigh-ins at fights. And then it was like, oh no, like you need to do your makeup, get like to have a photo shoot, like put a different side out there because you know, you're going to need like more, you know, you're not going to get opportunities, you know, just based on your skill. And I think if, I think that's really true. And as far as like who deserves respect, like that's a tough one because this is an entertainment industry. You know, it's not just like say Conor McGregor and someone else who's equally as skilled, like who's going to get paid most likely like, or a hundred percent Conor's going to get paid more because he makes people want to watch. And are these girls who are bringing in people for maybe like sexualizing themselves? Like, is that, you know, necessarily a bad thing if they're bringing, like, I don't judge like either way. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like do this, do that. I don't care. But, you know, it's hard when, you know, like someone like who me, who for the most part in my, in the sport, I haven't really gone too far on that side, you know, and you know, seeing other people get opportunities or more followers or this or that. But I think we all kind of make a choice, you know, and whatever comes, comes, you know. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's a tough one. But, like, I, I think, you know, if, you, if you're able to bring more attention to yourself, all power to you. Fair enough. All right. Well, we're all going to be watching May 9th. It should be an interesting one. Lots of unknowns up in the air, but uh, it's going to happen. So uh, Michelle Waterson versus Carla Sparza, May 9th, UFC 249. Carla, nice catching up with you. Safe travels, and I uh, can't wait to see your fight. Thank you for your time. Cool. Thanks so much. The Ock and Barack Show. It's either make the big fights happen, fighters take less money, or stand their ground and wait till we get to a point where their audiences. That might not happen for another year. The big fighters like AJ, like Canelo, all of these big names, are they willing to wait a year without fighting? Can the networks deal with that? Can the promoters deal with that? And eventually it's going to come down to the point where you either take it or you leave it. There's no more money for you to get. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. All right, joining us now on the hotline is a gentleman some of you might know very, very well. He is the co-founder and visionary behind Kabuki Strength. He is a record-setting dead, or I should say, not even a deadlifter, powerlifter in general, with, especially with his squat and his deadlift. He's known quite uh, for it. A training innovator. He is the author of The Eagle and the Dragon. I could go on for a lot of different ways, but uh, it's a man in the strength world who is very well known. Really excited to get him on the show today. It's uh, Chris Duffin. Mr. Duffin, how are you? Good, sir. I'm doing good. Looking forward to uh, having some good conversation today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris. I got to tell you, let's start where the conversation is supposed to start. I was, I'm at home, and let me tell you what my training situation is. You know, normally I'm a guy who, uh, you know, I'm I'm just an average lifter. I, you know, it's, I've just been lifting most of my life, but I'm an average lifter. But I, it's a big part of my life. Like, you know, even if I'm not necessarily competitive with it, and uh, the gym's closed down, and I was like, well, here's what I've got. I've got resistance bands. I've got a legitimate bench that can incline and you know hit 45 degrees and go flat. Okay. I've got uh, a set of Bowflex dumbbells that go up to 90 each. Okay, they're adjustable. You know what I mean? So I'm not, yep. I've got, I'm not working with nothing, but like some of the other compound lifts I want to be doing, 
it's a little bit hard to do with dumbbells. So I was like, let me get on there and see what I can find. I ordered your trap bar, the HD one. The good news is it's going to be here, I think, on Wednesday. Wednesday is when it is coming. But I have to tell you, Chris, it has been, and I know you guys, your customer service was unbelievable. They were quick. They gave me great information. But I, I, I cannot wait to get my hands on this. So first tell me, as a really a proprietor in the space, what has it been like with the orders coming in? You guys must be getting slammed for stuff. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's just because when this hit, we're like, everybody's thinking eh, everything's going to, uh, you know, be slow, but yeah, the home gym market is really taken off. A lot of our clients normally are, you know, we deal with, we have pretty high end products that improve biomechanics, things like that. So we work with the colleges, all the professional athletes, um, you know, independent gym, gym owners. And obviously the home gym is a, is a segment, uh, as well. And that is just all the other businesses have shut off, obviously, uh, but the home gym market is yeah getting slammed like crazy, especially since our products are so versatile. Like you ordered the trap bar, I'm sure you've seen the the video. Like you can you can literally train almost anything with our version of the trap bar, um, which it, you know everybody thinks of a traditional one. It's got some uh, different features to it. It just makes it so incredibly uh, versatile. And yeah, it's been not just like for the home gym though. What's crazy is. So all the professional athletes that are out there, their coaches know us and they're not in their normal weight room and they're trying to hook their athletes up. Hmm. So we've got, you know, bars going to LeBron and basically like all the starting line of of the uh, of the Lakers and like Luke Johnson in the uh, the, the NFL, Odell Beckham, like the, the Rock's got a new one on the way. Like we have all these like top notch athletes uh, w that we're shipping out to, to their homes right now because that's where they're at. <laughs> hmm. How long do you think this might last? Because even if you look at places like, none of us are epidemiologists, but just looking at what's happened where this virus has got, was ahead of the United States, they're still kind of not really opening up gyms or very, very limited ways. Th this, this idea that the, about the home gym being really revitalized, and I, I saw your trap bar, on, funny enough, on Garage Gym Reviews, uh, it seems like it's going to be lasting for a little while. Well, it, here's my view. I mean, there's already, I think, uh, nine states that have are, are uh, starting to open up uh, the gyms this month they're looking at here in May. So it's it's starting in some areas. But my view for a long time has been uh, that there's going to be a distinct shift over the next decade or two of people moving away from this commercial gym environment uh, because of you know what you can accomplish there. And and there's going to be more of a shift to people like owning their own, you know, health, their own fitness. And even independent trainers are going to be moving away from the large commercialized facilities where they're going to be a lot more of these independent studios. So I think there's going to be a shift at some level to a permanent fashion. And the, you know, the, the COVID is really just accelerated what is our what was already happening and people weren't able to see it before but now they're now it's happening very fast so yeah there a bunch of people are going to go back to those commercial gyms when they open but i think there's still going to be more people that during this time learn oh wow i can actually do a lot at home uh have the right equipment or even just have a backup of it just in case because guess what this probably isn't going to be the last time in our lifetimes that something like this happens now with the the world population right right i'm not an expert in these areas but this is just like my views is that this this shift uh was starting to happen already and we're already starting to see it like uh 24 hour fitness is uh it's contemplating fi filing for bankruptcy gold's gyms closed 30 gyms uh a big outfit in new york that uh, is a conglomerate that opens a lot of gyms filed for bankruptcy and if you look at it in the books you'll find out it wasn't really because of the covid they've all been struggling for years hmm. like with worsening financials so it's i don't think covid has made anything happen that was that we weren't going to see happen over the next 10 years. Hmm. Yeah, and maybe there's too much uh, commercial space being used that, yeah. where that just can't justify uh, anything short of enormous well, membership it, rosters. It, exactly, and real estate costs are gonna continue to drive up. Some of this is gonna drive more American manufacturing to come back, which is again gonna drive up real estate uh, costs for commercial buildings. And so we've already, we were already a, an American-made company, so the effect didn't affect any of our sourcing like uh, companies, other companies. And our designs were already built around this ability for versatility and accommodation for a lot of different movements and uh, people with different levels.
and and needs within those movements as well. Uh, so it's it, it's worked well for us because I anticipated this shift uh, as a whole. It's just moving a lot faster than anybody expected. <laughs> it is something totally different, especially when you're under load and then complete the lift and then repeat. So it's a it's definitely not a max effort. It's really challenging, and this is something we implement with all kinds of athletes. So I would definitely see. Uh, that and it's a it's a miscomponent in a lot of strength training programs. Let me uh, owning owning positions owning positions. Yeah, there, uh, we're short on time here. I want to get to something else. I mean, I could go on for days with this, but I want to get to something. Uh, Theor Bjornsson is going to try. He's not an MMA athlete, of course. Uh, famously from Game of Thrones, if you don't know him anywhere else, uh, but he won World's Strongest Man 2018. Cleaned up at the Arnold's with a deadlift on the elephant bar this past. Well, the one before, I suppose. Uh, but uh, okay, so he's going to try for a 500 kilo, kilogram deadlift tomorrow, which would beat Eddie Hall's record of 500. First of all, let me ask you more of a basic question. I have to tell you, I have long believed that World's Strongest Man, which by the way is owned by the people who own the UFC, a lot of folks don't know that, has been terribly under-marketed. I don't like the way it's aired on television. I'm not saying that Thor doing circus lifts in his own gym is the way to fix it, but I have to tell you, I like that it's on ESPN. I like that they're giving strength sports a little bit more of a push. I wonder what you make of the current state in terms of popularity of strength sports. Yeah. I think it's it's making some headway. Uh, at the end of the day, like if anyone's going to have appeal, it's going to be strongman uh, because it's it's just more visual. Like honest, I've done powerlifting for a long time. Like the only people that are really interested and they're trust me, they're not actually interested to watch is your family. It's a bar <laughs> and people going up and down. Uh, it's it's honestly very boring. Um, so I don't think that there's going to be it's getting more by people that actually because of the growth of people participating in strength training on their own now is increasing the, the amount of people in exposure. And it's obviously increasing the amount of exposure of strongman. But strongman has the potential of being so much more with these larger than life figures, honestly. Right. <laughs> Thor and Eddie Hall and Brian Shaw, all, all you know, all of them. Um, uh, they had that great show on the History Channel as well. I think that did a lot for like getting the exposure to people that aren't in strength training that are interested in following these people, right, and seeing what they're doing. But uh, it, I think it still has a long way to go. Uh, this is this is really interesting with the uh, you know the the these athletes now performing uh, these the feats of strength during this time period. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, there's the argument of does it count as a record because it wasn't done in competition so uh, but at, at the end of the day they did it and no one can take a, that away from them right the question like, is you, the question you, you did it yeah. like that you know for and nobody it's people competition or not like you had to work so hard for so many years and do so much like people have no idea the amount of discipline and effort it takes to to get to the point where you can even attempt something like that it's not just going into the gym and going i'm going to max out today right it's not here here's the only thing the caveat to that to me would be uh let's say he pulls it tomorrow right he gets a clean 501 to me he's gonna pull it yeah you think so okay we'll talk about that in a second but to me it's like it proves you can pull 501, but the question is, could you pull 501 if you had to travel and Eddie Hall was right behind you nipping at your heels? And that to me is a bit sort of a different debate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, competition is a different deal. And I, I fall into that. So I competed uh, for a long time. I was ranked number one in the sport for like eight years. The last uh, four to five years, I've been doing circus lifts, you know, exhibitions at an expo, in my gym, all that sort of stuff. And I totally accept like that's not the same thing is showing up at a competition and doing it. The planning for that date, all the factors, the stress, the anxiety, the different things that you've got to do during the day, you don't get the control of the time of when you get to walk up there and do your lift. Uh, there's so many other factors that feed in there. Hmm. So, um, but uh, right now, uh, Thor's the strongest person in the world. So I, yeah. Let's talk about his setup a little bit. He's got a bit of that Brian Shaw setup, I guess Eddie Hall to a degree too, where Dude, they it's they're not sumo deadlifting, but they've got like a, a it's almost like a snatch grip that they're so wide, and so, sometimes their legs will be really wide. Why? Do, and he's huge, obviously he's like six nine or something. But why do some of these bigger guys have such a? It's not a sumo lift, but gosh, it looks something quite kind of like it. Explain their setups and why biomechanically they might be in those positions. Yeah. 
Well, one, it, it's not necessarily the most optimal position as a whole for a human being, but it's the most optimal for, for them. They're almost 700 pounds in a, or, se, uh, you know, they're almost seven foot tall, you know, and over 400 pounds. So one, as you get up there, um, that little bit of distance that your legs go apart is going to continue to go apart. So if you look at, uh, with our, a lot of uh, our NFL and NBA players, our trap bar comes with a wider set of handles that you can put in there because a lot of them are using that wider grip too, because by the time you get down there, your legs are just a little bit wider on the floor. Hmm. Now add in the fact that those legs are massively around. Okay. They're going to run into each other in, in any way. So the best way to find your optimal like deadlift stance is just take a big jump in the air and then land. Okay, that's going to be a great position that you're going to get great quad activation, great glute activation, great hamstring activation. So it's a really, you know, do that a few times. Just do a power jump and then just come right back down. You'll find that you your your legs land about shoulder width apart. And that's because, you know, the average human height is five foot ten. Okay, well, I think Thor's like six foot ten. 10 yeah, and 440 pounds. So if he did that experiment, he's going to end up with something pretty similar to where he's at just because, uh, he's going to be that much further off the ground. So the feet are going to be further apart, but he's also, again, got a bunch of mass. It's going to be uncomfortable to try to bring that in. And the hand stance is, is it is, has to be wider than the legs to be a convent like, or there, if you try to bring it in, you're going to run into your legs with your hands. Right. So there is no, the hands are what it is. Hands either go outside the legs or inside the legs, and if you're forced to have a wider stance, um, you know that's what where it's going to be. Yeah, I called it sumo. I meant with the legs because so, so, the hands. It's like a sumo leg snatch grip hands. Yeah, setup. that's how I arrive at it. So when everybody goes, I need to, I, I, I need to copy them. I'm like, are you 440 and <laughs> six foot eight? I'll look around. Let's look around the room now and see if there's. Oh, there is nobody here like that. So, um, but uh, for anybody that wants to know. Uh, a great way to find it that that was uh, the piece I just went through. So, uh, so then the other part is this was controversial to me when I very first started learning. Less so now is what they'll do is some of these bigger guys, Chris. And if you've explained to the audience, they'll roll the weight out in front yeah. of them. They'll bring it back, and you'll notice Thor and Eddie Hall in particular. They'll go below parallel, and then the hips will come up right at the moment when the bar gets near the shins. So what they're using the roll of the weight to to get into position. Yes. So when you're a bigger guy like that, and it, this one doesn't have to be with tall. So anybody that's a bigger guy, uh, you know, when I when I'm pushing, you know, 280 pounds at, you know, five foot 11 myself on a conventional pole, you're everything runs into itself when you're trying to get down in there. And so you can't get in good position and your actual spine ends up rounding over your belly. And so you can't create tension very well um, and, and get a good setup. So one of the ways around that is to roll the bar out, and then as it's rolling in, you're actually pulling you're pulling against the bar, uh, pulling it into you, but you're pulling your hips into position as well and erecting your spine at the same time. Hmm. So when you've got a lot of mass in the in the leg and stomach area, uh, that is that is one of the one of the ways to be able to work around that to be in good position, <clears throat> and then. If you do that, you haven't been able to like use the bar in a static position to drive the hips down and get the spine in a good position and actually have this what we call a preload on the bar, but it's actually tension in the whole body, stabilizing it. So you haven't had the chance to do that. So what you'll find is if you drop the hips lower, it's another technique, um, and then you start, start pulling with the bar, you'll pull into the position, look at the position as the bar is just about to exit the ground, and you'll see it's the exact same position where somebody would be if they started the pull statically. Hmm. So it's a way to work around these things to get in position. It takes a lot of timing and technique to do it. So typically I don't teach that, although I've done it when I do conventionals when, I'm, when I get fat, um, uh, which is sometimes I do every few years for uh, chasing goals, because uh, bigger is helps you move more weight. Uh, and I've gotten to the position I just can't get in those, and I end up uh, doing the uh, a very similar uh, similar technique. But it takes a lot of timing. It's definitely not something that most people need to mimic or try to do. There's no 
uh, advantage to that over another uh, a, a regular method or how you see most people deadlift if you can get in those positions normally. Uh, so you, you're confident he's going to pull the 501, yeah? Oh, yeah. He's going to pull it. His lifts have looked so like smooth and effortless. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I, I have, I don't have any doubts that he's going to pull that tomorrow. And I have to say, we, we sort of alluded to it at the beginning, you know, Eddie Hall has been chirping on social media. He's not too thrilled with it because you know, he's sort all of, that's doing is creating great pomo for Thor though. Exactly. Like, I mean, it, the, the fact that Eddie's upset and chirping is doing nothing more. And then now, uh, and then Thor's using that you know, intelligently and saying, Hey, if I get this many subscribers to my YouTube channel, if I get this many subscribers, I can't remember which other uh, social media he's like, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's putting incentive in there, uh, for, for doing it because he's, there's so much drama going on and he's actually using it, that drama to build his social channel. So Thor's being a brilliant businessman about, uh, about this and Eddie may be upset, but he's doing nothing but help Thor build his popularity by ha- by doing that. Um, so, um, but I understand where he's coming from though too. Like that's been, you know, what Eddie worked his whole life towards and he did it in competition, um, which is which is a different thing, so. We're up against the break, so I have to move on. I gotta let you go. But first I wanna make sure folks know if they wanna be like me and order strength equipment, it's gonna be on back order, but it's worth the wait. First things first, you can go to Kabuki Strength. What's the website for Kabuki Strength? Uh, just that, uh, kabukistrength.com. Very good. You also K-A-B-U-K-I. have... K-A-B-U-K-I. Yes, K-A-B-U-K-I, Kabuki Strength. You can also just sort of Google Chris Duffin. It'll come up as well. I'll put the link in the description box. I'll tweet it, uh, I'll tweet it out as well. And, of course, you have a book as well, The Eagle and the Dragon. Quickly, if you can tell folks what that's about. Oh, God. It's a, uh, a book to help people uh, live a better life, uh, both with uh, uh, business, professionally, uh, and personally. Uh, walking through a very strange uh, uh, life uh, that I've had. I grew up homeless in the mountains, uh, you know, catching rattlesnakes, killing animals, and uh, and took myself to um, a couple engineering degrees, MBA, being a business executive, doing turnarounds in the aerospace and automotive world, to uh, founding Kabuki Strength among amongst a few other companies. Uh, and uh, I walked through the principles and philosophies for uh, evaluating your life and and doing doing the work to understand where you're going and executing it. It's uh, it's a bestseller. Um, and what is the what is the we we get authors on a lot. What's the best place to buy it? Uh, probably Amazon.com. Okay, it, it is the best. You can also get it on Audible. Amazon and Audible are the easiest, probably. Fair enough. Yeah, a lot of times book authors don't want us to give out Amazon, but some some don't uh, mind. So you know, to me, I I'm just trying to. I, I wrote the book to try to help people. Um, because I'm, I'm very passionate uh, about how strength makes us better as a human beings, how we adapt to it. And my business is only cover the physical nature of this. So this is the mental and emotional uh, sides of using, uh, using basically negative things or challenges in your life and adversity uh, to become a stronger, better, more resilient uh, version of yourself. If you want more information and why wouldn't you, you can go to kabukistrength.com. Of course, tomorrow we'll see how the deadlift goes, but pay attention to Chris Duffin no matter what. Chris, quite the treat to get you on the show. Really appreciate your time, and I cannot wait to get the HD trap bar here on uh, next uh, Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.